Hello and welcome to the Down to the Wire podcast. I'm Varun Shankar, staff writer, host, and play-by-play announcer at DHSPress.com. This podcast is brought to you by DHSPress.com. Go check out Ian Whitfield's in-depth piece on the quality of football helmets, and then go check out his podcast with Shane Riley, the season saviors, helping your fantasy team this year. Their fantasy football advice is incredible. Go check out their podcast on DHSPress.com. We're also sponsored by Lori Christ Accounting. The Nationals had to do a lot of bookkeeping this year to keep themselves under the luxury tax, and they did it with some extremely smart moves. But let's keep it real. Bookkeeping is hard. It's tedious, time-consuming, and often difficult work. Why should you spend your weekends working on balance sheets and looking at income statements and bank reconciliations when you can go on over to Lori Christ and have it all done for you just for one low monthly fee? To get your bookkeeping done for one low fee, call 703-304-5173. Once again, that's 703-304-5173. The Christ Accounting Group Monthly Bookkeeping Made Simple. On this episode of the Down to the Wire podcast... I'm going to talk about the Nationals. I mean, what else am I going to talk about? This all feels surreal. They're this close to exercising all their demons and winning the World Series. How have they done it? How can they keep it going with Game 3 tonight, Game 4 tomorrow? Let's find out. <laughs> This all feels kind of surreal. I was lucky enough to go to the wild card game in D.C. when the Nationals took on the Brewers, and I can't... That feels like so long ago. It feels like years ago. I remember just standing there in abject misery, wondering how, how could it be going this wrong after such a magical season when they were down 3-1 against the best reliever in the game, Josh Hader. Below the basis, even then, I was so, so afraid to believe. And then Juan Soto got that hit. And then that ball went under Tread Grisham's glove. And then the Nationals went to L.A. Steven Strasburg threw a gem in Game 2. Max Scherzer somehow pitched 120 pitches, went seven innings in Game 4. Anthony Rendon and Juan Soto went back-to-back home runs in Game 5, and then in the 10th inning, in a a deciding game against a 106-win team, Howie Kendrick came up with the bases loaded in a series that he had been abjectly... I mean, he was just bad in that series. And he came up and hit a grand slam. Then the Nationals went to St. Louis, swept the Cardinals... And then they went to Houston, and Houston, we knew from the beginning, was going to be a different animal. They were a different quality of team. I mean, they won 107 games, but they dominated. Against a great team in the Yankees, they looked like they were just making the Yankees overmatch. Their hitters crushed Yankee pitching. Their pitchers shut down the Yankee bats. It was was surreal to watch, and it frightened me, to be honest. The Nationals are up 2-0 in this series, guys. Unbelievable. I mean, the first two games were unbelievable. The biggest story coming into the series was the starting pitching of both teams. You talk about the big three that both teams had. Uh, for the Astros, it's Cole, Verlander, Granke. For the Nationals, it's Scherzer, Strasburg, Corbin. 
that was a matchup. That was the only reason that people said that the Nationals even had a shot because they're maybe the only team in the entire MLB that can match that starting uh, rotation of the Astros. Yeah, so through two games, four starters have pitched, two for each team. Only one team, only one pitcher has been able to get a quality start. A quality start defined as six innings pitched and three runs, three earned runs given up. That pitcher was Steven Strasburg. You look through the other uh, other guys. Garrett Cole was not great. Seven innings pitched, five earned runs. Justin Verlander was decent for most of the game. Faltered near the end, six innings pitched, four earned runs. Max Scherzer had one of the most interesting uh, outings that I've ever seen. We'll get to that in a second. Five innings pitched, two earned runs. But coming into the series, the story was going to be starting pitching, and so far the starting pitchers have not been great. And you go into a Game 3 now. We'll be previewing Game 3 near the end of this podcast. You go into a Game 3 now where you've got Zach Greinke, who's been bad, just flat-out bad in this postseason, and Anibal Sanchez, who no one predicted because Patrick Corbin threw an inning of relief in Game 1. Let's talk about Max Scherzer right here. Mad Max, maybe the greatest free agent signing, definitely in Nationals history, maybe of all time. He had nothing going for him in Game 1. He was overthrowing that fastball, and he was pulling everything. That fastball command was just flat-out bad. It, it, he could not find a way to consistently throw it for strikes and get swings and misses on it. And everything plays off Scherzer getting swings and misses because he does that. He gets ahead in the count because of that overpowering fastball. Uh, hitters can't catch up to it, or they're just not able to time it up right. And then he hits you with either a curveball, a changeup, or that devastating slider that just moves off the plate, a power slider. The problem is, and this was a point made by Jacob Rash on Twitter, if Scherzer can't get that fastball command, he can't get ahead in the count, and now he's just trying to get chase swings on that slider. He's just trying to throw it out of the zone and hope that the Astros swing and miss at it. That's going to work in May, June, maybe even July against teams like the Detroit Tigers or the Miami Marlins. It's not going to work against a team like the Astros. They're so disciplined in how they play, and I mean, they are an incredible team, even though they're down 2 nothing, Every at-bat seems like a struggle. And so they weren't swinging at that Scherzer uh, slider for the most part. And so he had to deal with that. And he, first inning, he wasn't great, gave up two runs. But after that, he really settled down, and he had to throw a lot of high-leverage pitches because he was walking guys and he was giving up hits because he, they were timing up his fastball, and he could not throw it consistently for strikes without just serving it down the middle. He wasn't his—I mean, Scherzer was not as great as he normally is. He's, I mean, when he's on, he's the best pitcher in baseball, and he was definitely not that with five innings pitched and two earned runs. But he battled, man. I mean, he, he showed why he's such a warrior because, I mean, he just persevered in his start in a way that I've seen him do before, but in such a high-leverage situation, I mean, he threw stressful pitches. I mean, those were—no no pitch he threw was just easy. And, uh, yeah, he ended at 112 pitches, and those were all, each one of those 112 pitches was earned. And to only get out with two earned runs and to give his, chan- t- to give his chance, give his team a chance to win was simply sensational. And then in game two, Strasburg, he was, he was better than Scherzer was. He had a little bit more, but he still wasn't his dominant self. 
in the first inning on the home run to Bregman. That's just a bad changeup right there. He left it up, and that's not something you're going to see Steven Strasburg do because he's not normally trying to throw that changeup in the strike zone. He's trying to get that down and get swings and misses, which he does a lot because the changeup, a lot has been talked about this year about uh, Strasburg's curveball and how effective it is. I think his changeup is his best pitch, to be honest. Uh, I think about Game 4 in the 2017 Division Series against the Cubs where he had the flu and he just came out and that changeup was disgusting. I mean, it just drops off and every single Cubs hitter seemed flummoxed by it throughout the entire game. But tonight, I mean, that changeup wasn't great, especially on that pitch to Bregman, which Bregman just absolutely vaulted out. Started out as a great game to Bregman. Didn't end that way. We'll get to that in a second. Strasburg had command issues, and listen, like I said earlier, the Astros make everything difficult. The Nationals have been operating with a procedure that they don't want to expose their bullpen for more than two innings because then they're not using one of the two relievers they trust in Doolittle or Hudson. So then you have to go to a Tanner Rainey or Fernando Rodney or, heaven forbid, a Wander Suero. But the problem is the starters aren't going to be able to go seven innings. They haven't done it so far through two games, and... That's because their pitch counts are just going incredibly high. Max ended at 112. Strauss ended at 114. Strauss got an extra inning. He got to six, but Max only got to five. And this is because the Astros don't go down easily. Four teams this year in the major leagues, the highest pitches per plate appearance seen was 4.12 pitches per plate appearance. In this, in uh, game two against Strasburg, the Astros had 19 plate appearances that had five or more pitches. And for the entire game, they averaged 4.15, slightly higher than the league lead. They extend at bats, especially with two strikes. They just foul off pitches. They have incredible plate discipline and even better plate vision, which allows them to get their bat around to the ball and just get as much contact as they can. And listen, they're going to strike out, sure, but each strikeout takes five or six pitches. They're not getting three-pitch uh, strikeouts. What does this mean for the rest of the series? Well, it means that the Nationals are probably going to need some big innings from Fernando Rodney, Tanner Rainey, or Wander Suero. Rainey was pretty good in Game 1. Uh, he didn't have a lights-out outing by any stretch of the imagination, but his pitches were pretty good. His location is really good. And listen, when Tanner Rainey is on, he's a top-five He's a he, top five is an exaggeration, but he's an incredible pitcher because he's got a uh, 101 uh, fastball with a wipeout slider. You don't need that much more. You, you can add a changeup for sure, and I think that's something he's going to work on this winter. But when he can command, he's going to be on his game. Fernando Rodney, a little bit more dicey. That changeup is still dynamic, but at 42 years old, you don't know how much he has left and how much he can throw. But they're going to need some big innings from those guys. And Rodney looked good in his first appearance. Rainey looked a little bit better in his second appearance as the Astros started to swing and miss in Game 2. You can you either, either do that or you do what you did in Game 1, where you just, uh, just try to get innings from your starters like you did in a short series against the Dodgers. You get your starters in as relievers, like a guy like Corbin did in Game 1 or Max and Strauss did in the wildcard game and in um, the division series, respectively. It's going to be tough. It's There's no easy solution here. I'd like to see a guy like Joe Ross, his sinker, I think would play well against the Astros. Uh, or uh, Austin Voth hasn't seen an inning yet, and he was pretty good down the stretch for the Nationals. Obviously, it's different starting than coming out of the bullpen, but 
You got you got to try it if you don't think that Fernando Rodney or Tanner Rainey can get it going. Uh, before we continue, I want to take a quick break to remind you again that Lori Christ Accounting is doing your bookkeeping for one low monthly fee. To get that bookkeeping done, call 703-304-5173. Once again, that's 703-304-5173. The Christ Accounting Group, monthly bookkeeping made simple. Let's talk about the batters in this game. We talked about the pitchers. Let's talk about the offensive side of baseball. We can't start anywhere but Juan Soto. He turns 21 the day that this podcast is dropping, and he's just been unbelievable so far. The Astros hadn't walked a single batter this entire year. Their analytics approach told them they shouldn't be walking people, and so they didn't. They intentionally walked Juan Soto in the World Series. For the first time this year, they intentionally walked someone. That's the highest sign of respect that shows you that they're afraid of Juan Soto. And listen, that uh, intentional walk set up the place for Bregman and the huge inning that uh, came. And listen, it, I don't blame them for being afraid of Juan Soto after you saw what he did. That home run that he hit uh, off of Garrett Cole in Game 1, great stuff. I mean, his swing is absolutely great right now. I mean, there was an article in the Washington Post about how he stayed after with Kevin Long uh, after a game, uh, after one of the Cardinals games, because he didn't feel good. And um, because he didn't feel good about his swing. And listen, his swing looks great right now. And he's staying back on the ball. He's patient. He's able to adjust. He went against two great pitchers, and he had great results. And He's right now the best player in this Nationals lineup, even though Anthony Rendon, as we're going to talk about, has been great. Looking at more of the bottom of the order, which is where sometimes you need some production to come from, Azrubal Cabrera and Kurt Suzuki have had very tough postseasons so far. Cabrera has been striking out like crazy, expanding the strike zone. It hasn't been a good sight to see, and people have been wondering, should they switch him out for Brian Dozier? Cabrera rewarded Davey Martinez's fate with him with a single that scored a run in Game 2. And hopefully he's going to uh, round back into form. Kurt Suzuki, he's in there just for his offense. He can't throw anyone out anymore, even though he did get Altuve going to third base. The Astros are going to try to run all day on Kurt Suzuki. But he's in there because he's supposed to be a offensive stalwart. And through the postseason, he was, I think, like 1 for 20 before the World Series started. And right now, that home run he hit off Verlander, Huge. It gave the Nationals a lead, and they never gave it back. Radon is still as hot as ever. So this Nationals lineup, especially if they're going to be able to get contributions from guys up and down the lineup outside of Rendon and Soto, is extremely dangerous. I mean, they are very, very well-rounded, and they're doing what the Astros want to do, which is they're just putting balls in play a lot. They in a, in a in a day in a age of baseball where the three true outcomes are almost all that matters: home run, strikeout, walk. The Nationals put the ball in play a lot, and you saw how well it worked because listen, sometimes you put the ball in play and they make errors. Sometimes you have a little soft single off the bat of Ryan Zimmerman, and it's a you know it works out. <laughs> Justin Verlander throws it off his own shin sometimes. You never know what's going to happen when you put the ball in play, and it's always going to be better than a strikeout, and the Nationals have really embraced that throughout this year going against the grain of conventional baseball wisdom to create a team that right now is hitting on all cylinders. 
there was an interesting point made by Harper Gordek on Twitter about why are you pitching to Soto or Rendon at all? Why aren't you just forcing Kendrick, Zimmerman, Cabrera, and Suzuki to beat you? I, I understand the philosophy. It makes sense. I mean, Soto and Rendon have been absolutely lights out this postseason. But that goes against everything the Astros believe. They don't believe in putting men on base because of their analytics-based approach. And something that's going to be very interesting to monitor for the rest of this series is how many pitches do Soto and Rendon get to hit? I mean, even against incredible uh, pitchers like uh, incredible pitchers like Cole and Verlander, Rendon and Soto have been dominating. If you get to a bullpen situation or Granky who hasn't been good this postseason, can you afford to pitch to Rendon and Soto? I don't know if you can. And that means that guys like Kendrick, Zimmerman, Cabrera, and Suzuki, Turner, Eden, Robles, the rest of the lineup, the other seven guys have to stand. Uh, they, they have to uh, step up to the plate, and they have to get some big swings. And to their credit, it looks like they're up to the task. Kendrick with that huge grand slam. Zim with that uh, home run in game one. Cabrera with a single. Suzuki with a home run. Eden with a home run. Turner's been getting on base and stealing bases, looking great. Uh, Robles has been getting uh, a couple of singles here and there. This is a well-balanced lineup, lineup and the Nationals are going to need to prove it. Um, implications so far from the series... The Nationals took a game from Cole and Verlander. Assuming that Cole and Verlander were each going to pitch two games in the series, the Nationals needed to take either a Cole start or a Verlander start. Through two games, they've done both. They've set themselves really well for Game 3. Before we preview Game 3, let me tell you a little bit about DHSPress.com. On the site today, you can read Morgan Fisher's article about what it feels like for her, a huge Nationals fan, to be seeing what's going on with the team right now and how it makes her feel. You can also look at the 2020-2021 LCPS school calendar, which has finally been approved. Uh, You can check out Fantasy Football Talk with Ian Whitfield. As I said before, no one better to get your advice from. And you can check out uh, the Check This Out edition of Miracle, a great movie, one I watched, I think, two years ago, one of my favorites. Uh, Back to baseball. Game three, the pitching matchups are set. It's going to be Anibal Sanchez for Washington against Zach Greinke. Both of these guys are more finesse pitchers. They kind of like to fool around with some off-speed, use location to trick hitters. A good comparison for Anibal Sanchez, I think, is Mike Fiers of Oakland. And he had one start against uh, Houston this year with uh, the Athletics. Uh, And he went for six innings and three earned runs. Small sample size. You don't really know what's going to happen, but... Sanchez has been great so far uh, this postseason with a .71 ERA. He's been lights out. But I think you're going to need the bullpen at this one. Sanchez can't really go more than five or six because of his numbers third time through the order. Now, I don't know if his stats going against the third time in the order is because of is because of the fact that the Astros are seeing more pitches or it's because of game situation slash uh, just fatigue. But... If you look at the stats of him going through the opponent in the game, first time through the lineup, uh, they bat 209 against him. Second time through the lineup, they bat 235 against him. Third time through the lineup, 288 with an OPS of .923 and an uh, SOPS plus of 127. Now, an SOPS plus, for those who don't know, 100 is average. So when a pitcher go and through his first two times of the order, it's 62 and 83. So what that means is first and second time through the order, Batters are 
uh, 38% worse than the average hitter against uh, Sanchez, and then 17% worse than the average hitter against Sanchez. Third time through the order, they become 27% better than the average hitter. So we might be seeing Fernando Rodney or Tanner Rainey again tonight. Uh, We might see Max Scherzer come out of the bullpen. You do have a rested bullpen with Hudson and Doolittle not having to pitch last night, which was great. Um, You never know. There's going to be some lineup adjustments for each team, so it's going to be interesting to see how Hinch has to manage his bullpen versus how Davey manages his bullpen because you don't have the luxury of the DH anymore. Uh, Is Jordan Alvarez even going to play? The presumptive AL Rookie of the Year uh, is a defensive liability at the left, so he's been DHing so far, but he may be benched for this series. If he's not playing, that's a huge benefit for the Nationals. It takes a huge lefty out of the game, and he's probably going to be a key pinch hitter sometime in the later innings. For the Nationals, who's going to come out of the lineup as we have the DH? I think this should be a pretty easy decision where you move Howie to second base, but how does the defense adjust based on that? It's going to be a great game Friday night. Fox. It's going to be the first World Series game in D.C. history. It should be a rocking atmosphere at Nationals Park and in the nation's capital. That's all for this episode of Down to the Wire. My name is Varun Shankar. This podcast is produced by DHSPress.com. Go check them out for some incredible content about sports, Titan territory, and the world at large. Also, be sure to check out Lori Christ Accounting. Don't forget, bookkeeping is hard. Why should you spend your weekend looking at balance sheets and income statements when you could be watching the Nationals game? Call 703-304-5173. Once again, that's 703-304-5173. The Christ Accounting Group, monthly bookkeeping made simple. For this episode of Down to the Wire, I'm Varun Shankar, signing off. Oh, 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 o